This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, AMP party people. I am Alex Pitney and welcome to episode two of season three of the Adopted Mom Podcast. Today on the show, we get to sit down and talk to Sarah McGooden. Sarah is not an adoptive mom, but she is an SLP, that's a speech language pathologist for those of you not in the know, who work in a, she works in a high-risk school district. So she treats kids from hard places all day, every day. She's going to explain what exactly speech therapy involves and how exactly it can benefit our kids. She's pretty awesome, and I can't wait to dive in. But first, I wanted to remind you that if you like what we're doing and you want to make sure you stay up to date on announcements and direct links to episodes, head over to the adoptivemompodcast.com slash email and plug in your address to receive my weekly newsletter. It'll just take a second. I promise you can do it on your phone even. You don't want to miss out on these fun new emails this season. Also, if you're a consistent listener or even if you just liked this episode and think that others might need to hear it as well, please head over to iTunes and rate and review the show. These few minutes of your time help to ensure that others are getting wind of this podcast and that it's out there to help them too. With all of that said, I think it's time to hop over to Sarah's interview. And don't forget to check out the Facebook Live follow-up that I do with my guests on Tuesdays. And you can listen either live or on replay. It stays on Facebook forever and ever. So catch us there. Let's jump in. All right, guys. So my guest today, Sarah McGooden, is not an adoptive mom, but she is a mom. And uh, she has a lot of kids, actually the same number of kids that I do. <laughs> and Funny story. She's one of the first people that I told um, when we had our onslaught of children. I when I was surprised to be pregnant, I saw Sarah and she guessed it and then laughed at me. So uh, welcome, Sarah. Hey. <laughs> Are you I proud? I remember that? that well. Yes, in the driveway at the Blanchett's house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was it was great fun. But um, so, Sarah, you are on this podcast as a non-adoptive mom, and that's for a couple of different reasons. The first is that you work in a profession that has a lot to do with kids from hard places, um, and that is speech-language pathology. And then the other reason is that you also have some – you have some kids that – I won't say that they have a lot of needs, but that they're, they're a lot of boys and – They've definitely, yeah, they're needy. They eat a lot and they've had their fair share of, uh, I don't know, incidents, shall we call them? Yes, (laughs) we have had several instances. That's so funny. But before we get into all of that, go ahead and take a second, introduce us to your clan of crazies. Um, Nate and I have been married for almost 19 years and we have Max, who's almost 17, Kate, who's, oh. Oh, I skipped two. I went straight from to Kate from Max. You were going from okay. youngest to old, like oldest to youngest, and then right. you're going to fill it in. Max is 16, Grant is 14, Jack is 12, and then Kate will be seven on Saturday. Surprise. Yeah, surprise. But then you also got your girl, so hashtag worth it. Right, right, right. And listen, you guys, her daughter Kate is like the most beautiful girl in the, like she's, oh my gosh. It's not, she has like, ocean blue eyes and I don't I bet you guys are just like here it comes this is gonna be a crazy teenage do what 
she's a hot mess. <laughs> um, okay, so like I like I said earlier, you have some fun stories, and you know, as as adoptive parents, we're quite used to incidences. I think we have taken to calling them for this interview. Um, and so, even though you're not an adoptive parent, you've definitely been through the ringer of having to learn to parent each individual kid, right? That is very definitely true. Every child is very different, and some have more needs than others in the discipline realm. Um, Some also react poorly to certain circumstances. We have one child in particular who is, we would call him explosive. Mm. Um, So we've had many things broken at our house. We've had shoes thrown at the TV and crack the screen. And that was actually on the way to a counseling session. We have had, (laughs) right. (laughs) We have had, um, Oh gosh, there's so many. We had an accidental fire in our backyard. That was unfortunate that affected several, um, different homes and we made the news. Um, yeah, that was fun times. And that one wasn't that wasn't just like the one child's uh discipline. Like wasn't the whole family involved in, in the disciplinary so action? That <laughs> yes. So <laughs> um one child started the fire because he was bored and decided to take himself outside and light toilet paper rolls on fire. But then all the boys and their dad had to go to fire school which was several weeks and included essays and talking and being interviewed by the fire chief. They all, they all loved that very much and will never ever let their brother live that down. I'm not trying. Like I'm sure I know it sucked at the time, but I just, one of my favorite things about you is I feel like you add humor to so many situations and you take a lot of things in stride. I don't think anyone could handle your family. Not that they're that bad, but I just like, except for you, because you have such a sense of humor about it. And have you always been like that? Or did you, did it take some like breaking down of your will throughout the years? I think it's when you like get to be a parent and you have all these ideas of what your family's going to be like or what your marriage is going to be like. And then reality sets in and reality set in with us really fast. I don't know. Our life just hasn't been exactly what I thought it would be. So you just kind of, it's either you cry or you laugh and, you know, take it day by day. You chose laugh. So that's good. We, we chose laughter over crying. Yes. (laughs) Well, I know that you guys have had a lot to laugh about, but the other, um, I think that that's something that your profession has come in handy for. Um, and, and you chose this before you had kids, right? To be a speech link. Yeah. Yeah. And so in what capacity do you do that? Um, I'm currently in a school, an elementary school setting. So So you work with a lot of kids from hard places, right? Yes, our the cool school that I am currently in is very low socioeconomic. It's very diverse. Um, there are not very many English speaking children at my school, so we have a lot of kids that come from some rough past or just some hard home life situations. Do you have any kids that are currently in foster care or um, in an adoptive family? We have actually triplets currently or we have a family of triplets that's in the process of being adopted. Um, we've had several, we 
we've had several kids that have gone into foster care and that teachers have actually been able to foster while they're in foster care and then have gone back to their parents. So it's like an ongoing, um, I guess, just elevator seems like there's always someone that's in the system at school. Yeah. And so even though you are not, you're, you know, you're not yourself, you're, you're not yourself an adoptive family. You are, you've been around adoptive families a lot. You work with adoptive families a lot. You work with kids who have been adopted or are in the process or whatever. And so I I think that how, how long did it take you to, I don't get used to dealing with your profession in that capacity as opposed to just what you were taught in school? You learn really fast. I also, I worked in a therapeutic day treatment um, facility for seven years, and there are many, many children there that either there's a, it was a residential facility as well as lots and lots of those kids go through the, um, are in foster care. So I think I learned early on just the reality of this isn't just all what you learn in the books. There's so much more with the trauma Mm -hmm. involved in it that um, affects these kids. That's so different than what you just are taught in school about learning your sounds. Right. Or just, yeah, I mean, swallowing and feeding and just all the things. And I think that, you know, before we move on, maybe that's a good idea for you to just take a second and explain to us what all your job encompasses, because I think that, you know, an outdated term for it would just be speech therapy, but you guys do so much more than that now. So um, what all does it entail? The field of speech therapy involves, I mean, from birth to death, it's very, um, it's a wide range of ages that are involved. There are speech therapists in the NICU in the hospital. There are speech therapists that work with elderly people who've had strokes, learning to swallow and to communicate again. Um so we do voice disorders, we do swallowing, we do, um, I mean, just like your normal articulation that you would think of, we do feeding, we do language development, which that's what I do mostly in the school, would be the articulation, like how kids say their sounds, but then also language development, like the receptive and expressive language and how those are learned. Wow. And that's something that I... And I learned so much more about once we got into the foster care and adoption thing. Um, I just learned how fascinating it was that this is not all genetic. You know, this has so much to do with your environment and with what you're taught from such a young age. And so what are some of the differences that you notice in kids who are from hard places versus uh, maybe like a typically developed child? It depends. I mean, there are children who haven't had a rough past that have some speech difficulties or can be delayed, language Mm -hmm. delayed. But so many language delays are caused from neglect, from trauma, or from maltreatment or being abused. So it's just so encompassing of kids that most kids who have suffered some sort of trauma, which would be every child in the foster care system is going to have some sort of delay, even if it's just temporary, just because of how their brain is developing. I mean, depending on the age um, of when they, when, whatever the traumatic experience is, um, but it can affect, I mean, it can affect so many different ways. It can make them shut down and stop talking. It can kind of stall them of when the traumatic event happened, it can stall them kind of at that age where they 
may act like a three-year-old for an extended period of time because that's where their brain gets stuck because of that traumatic experience that happened. Um, it can just make kids stop talking, um, which also goes with the psychological part of it. But I mean, there's just so many different things that can affect how kids communicate. Yeah. And I've always been so fascinated with, you know, therapists, you think of like a counselor when you hear that word, but um, the main three being, you know, speech language therapy, um, occupational therapy and physical therapy, you guys almost have to act like counselors as well. You know, you're having to do detective work and figure out, you know, why this child has a delay and what is going to help them the best. Um do you think that is that something that you pick up quickly the more you do it? Or are you still surprised sometimes when you um, when you have a kid with a strange delay and you're having to figure out why and what to do to help? Oh, there's always things that surprise us. I think I've been doing this for 17 years, but then something else are like, what in the world? I have no idea how to help this kid. And that's when you have to reach out to your other professionals. Like, have you guys ever seen anything like this? So it's great to have a tight knit community of speech therapists and even like I work with OTs and PTs at school so we all will group together and try to figure out the best thing or what we think is affecting the kid the most so take take us take us to school a little bit so I know that I mean what are some of the main things that that as adoptive parents we're going to see in these kids because I know that there's um there's receptive and then there's um what's the other kind of Expressive. Expressive. Thank you. I couldn't find that word. So I know that there's those two and they there there's a huge difference between the two, right? Yes. So receptive, like when if I were to assess someone's receptive language, you're asking them questions where they don't have to answer verbally at all. So it'd be like point to the big dog, point to the circle behind the square, those kind of things. You don't have to use any any expressive language to answer the question. You could just point. So it's more of your understanding um, inside your head, how you're able to understand and receive that information. Then expressive language is answering the questions, like answering the who, what, when, where kind of questions, being able to tell you the answer to something. Okay. So I'm going to use my kid as an example, because that's really the, um, I don't, the only way I know how to do this. But right, right. so my son, he has, um, impulse control issues and emotional regulation issues. So for him, it's not, it's it's not a won't it's a i'm sorry it's not a can't it's a won't so he knows how to talk he knows how he understands what you're saying but there are sometimes where he just gets stuck and he can't use his words and instead he screams um and every time i take him to get evaled for speech uh for speech therapy he's like puppy apple like does it perfectly and i'm like why don't you scream like you were five minutes ago so what what would that fall into so that would not be a language disorder. That would be more like a regulation or just screaming instead of, and that's the hard thing. Like, it's like, you can know there's something like, but he should be able to answer me. There's so many different things that encompass, um, especially coming from a traumatic life or even, even when babies are adopted from teeny tiny, like they can experience so much trauma even before that you don't even realize right you know could like well they're only a few weeks old you know they'll be fine well yes they will be however they can still have effects of trauma even before they realize that they experienced that 
Definitely. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So when you get a kid that's maybe on the line like that, is that some is that a situation where you would work with those occupational and physical therapists to figure out who is best suitable suitable to help them through stuff like this? Well, the process would be like if you had a concern, you would have to take them in to get an evaluation. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't just do what I wanted with your child without having like your PCP has to sign a referral and then they have to come in and we have to do an evaluation kind of thing. So like the OT would have to do an eval and the physical therapist would have to do an eval and then I'd have to do an eval and then you come up with a treatment plan from that. So I think, and that's a, that's a great segue into what I wanted to ask you about. So for a lot of adoptive parents, you know, we're getting kids in our homes that, um, that we just have a, a stack of papers that, supposedly tell us their history, but a lot of times it's not conclusive or the child might start showing behaviors that they didn't show before. And um, we're trying to figure all of this stuff out. So what are the, some of the things um, that, that we need to be looking for as parents that would show that our kids need someone like you in their lives? Well, and it all is so dependent on their age, Mm -hmm. like how old they are when you get a, like a two year old should be, have some words. Like if they didn't have any words, I would be concerned. However, you don't want to jump in and just think automatically, oh, there must be, he must have some disorder. I mean, it could be a delay, but it could be he's in shock. Like he needs time to adjust to the new situation or what's going on in his life. But definitely if a child isn't communicating at all, that would be, I mean, communication is in so many different ways. They can communicate by laughing at you. That can be a um, communicative communicative response they can point they can even without using a word they can just use sounds I mean that's communicating Mm -hmm. if a kid isn't at all definitely you need to have someone take them in to have an evaluation done Um, and it just really depends on the age of the child if you have a child that's over three and you can't understand what they're saying at all that's going to be a problem and they're going to need some speech therapy services. If your kid, I mean, between by the age of two kids should have at least 10 to 12 words, generally between 18 months and two years, there's an explosion of sorts. We just call it a vocabulary explosion where kids suddenly start using all of these words. Um, But if a kid's not talking by two, probably, you know, you want to have, maybe have at least ask your pediatrician if they have concerns and see. Yeah. Um, But there's so many different, it just depends on how old they are and what's been going on. And so I can get into my sippy cup and my pacifier soapbox if you'd like. (laughs) I I would like, I think that, you know, this is just all encompassing. (laughs) And I think that's what's so fascinating about your episode. And that's why I wanted to do a full episode with you because I think that, um, so many of these therapies seem really cut and dry, um, and they're not. They encompass so much more than we think. And I, I mean, I'm interested because to learn because, like, I mean, even my question before, when it's, you know, when it's not a can't, but it's a won't, and that's not even something that would fall into your category, even though it has to do with their language. So. Yeah, I, I want to know. I mean, when we get these kids in our house and we're, houses and we're kind of blindsided by some of these issues and we don't know where to start because maybe we don't have any kids, uh, any bio kids, or maybe we have very typically developed kids 
and were like, what do I even do with this kid who's, you know, can't talk or whatever? And I know that a lot of times that can come from not being spoken to neglect for the kid. I mean, there's so many different factors there. But what are so? Yeah, go ahead. What is your sippy cup and pacifier? So well, now this is going to be different. So if your own children that you have raised from birth or even like have adopted from birth it would be different than if you got like a two-year-old in your house. I'm not going to say take away their pacifiers immediately because that would be very traumatic because that's <laughs> yes. their soothing device. However, um, sucking is a reflex that babies typically lose around 12 months of age. However, when we give babies bottles past a year old, when babies have pacifiers past one year old, when those sippy cups that have little white stopper and you have to suck crazy hard out of those, when they have those past a year old, it keeps that sucking going, which causes problems later on. Tongue thrust is a huge problem with so many kids. It's also called like a forward swallow where their tongue comes forward and it can cause problems later. It can cause um, lisping. It can cause speech impediment. It can cause swallowing problems. So take those pacifiers away. There's nothing that irks me more than seeing a three-year-old walking around with a pacifier in his mouth trying to talk. Mm -mm. So like what about a two and a half year old? (laughs) Yeah, take it. Take it. Take what it if away. that two and a half year old? More than it. <laughs> what if she just got potty <laughs> trained <laughs> nah, and you don't, don't want to rock the boat? <laughs> <laughs> right. Just do one. Hypothetically. Right. Hypothetically, I would <laughs> pacify her away before. Uh, what if that ship is sailed? It's sitting on the toilet with a pacifier in their mouth. <laughs> may one or may not have happened before. today. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all i would now step off my soapbox no but this is this is why you're here miss mcgudden uh, i need to hear your soapbox so okay let's let's jump to older kids so before let's i mean we can we can go up to teens in a second but what are some of the issues that you see from with kids from hard places in like i don't know like this you know six to ten age range lack of comprehension lack of being able to follow directions and not just because they're being turds and they don't want to do it, um, but truly not being able to understand like multi-step directions. A lot of kids can't remember like they, it's almost, I don't know if it's official short-term memory loss, but if you say, Hey, come inside, put your shoes by the door and hang up your coat. They come in and they have forgotten what you said. Like they need visual cues to Mm. do it. And it's not just that they're not listening, they're being defiant. They generally may not understand or may not remember. So you can have kids um, to kind of test it. Hey, what did I just ask you to do? Remember, there's three things. Um, So just keeping your um, direction short and precise and not going on and on and on, but just making it where they can understand really easily. Um, A lot of kids don't understand those. Like what I said before with the WH questions, they don't understand what who means or what, what means or when they truly have no idea what those words mean. So say, Hey, what did you do? Or when are you going? And they're so confused by just what we consider simple questions. So what are some of the signs that we as parents can look for um, with our kids in that age range just to, um, to, yeah, maybe maybe think about getting an eval or talking to our PCP about it? 
Um, I think that would be like the memory if they're having trouble um, remembering what you've asked them to do, if they're having trouble following simple directions, if they're having trouble with basic concepts, like they don't understand behind or above or below those kind of words. Um, if they don't understand, some kids can't answer a yes, no question. Wow. Blows my mind, but they don't understand what you're asking are like the negative, you know, which one is not big, those kind of just simple concepts. Um, I think those would be warning signs. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, I mean, I'm, I'm interested now because this is, again, something that I would have put into another therapy category. I would have thought that this was an occupational issue. Um, occupational therapy is um, like fine motor. Right. So occupational would work with more like your um, grasp on things, on buttons, on the daily living skills, and also on sensory. Like if your child has a sensory disorder, um, they help like with that core strength and just helping, you know, identify what the sensory needs are. Gotcha. And, um, and I have a son that is in occupational therapy. I just, um, I thought that the whole following directions or being able to go through a normal day would have fallen into that category. So I'm fascinated that this is actually an SLP issue. Um, That's so cool. So let's move on to, to the teenager age. Um, what are some of the issues that are more typical issues that they have as a result of trauma? Um, some of those, and it's so hard to say like, what's a result of trauma or Mm -hmm. we see kids like with English language learners, it's which often so many of them, like we call them fresh off the boat. Like they get there in a week later, like from the Marshall Islands are suddenly in this English speaking school and they're in the seventh grade and they don't speak one word of English. Like that is a very traumatic situation. Yeah. Um, I think it's very similar. So many teenagers or kids that we think like can write a full sentence. They still can't like they don't have the grammar or the syntax needed to speak in a complete sentence or answer a question in a complete sentence or even write like writing a paragraph seems like a simple task. We have kids seventh, eighth grade that can't write a paragraph like they don't understand just the concepts of that or they can't string more than one sentence together, you know, and make them go together to have a clear thought. So, um, a lot of that stuttering can happen as a result of trauma. Um, I always, when kids are younger, like it's very common, very common, like kids under the age of five to stutter, their brains are developing so fast and they have so much in their head they want to say that it's hard to get out. Traumatic experiences can cause a kid to stutter. Um, when my four, now 14-year-old was two, he stuttered terribly when we had a new baby. So it's just like a lot of those changes can happen. If a kid is stuttering um, when he's older, just look for like facial grimacing or kind of twitching associated with it. That kind of thing is more severe um, that you would want to have, like go to a speech therapist and have that evaluated. Um, okay. Did I answer your, your question? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, the, I think that the parents listening are wondering, you know, which category their, their kids fall into or if they fall into a category. And maybe it is a situation where they think that the kid is being defiant or stubborn because they're not following simple directions or they think they're just not that bright. And, and maybe they don't understand that their, their kid needs some help other than just behavioral. Um, 
So yeah, behaviors I, can happen as a result of that, um, to, as a cover up. Like so often, the behavior is masking an insecurity a kid has. Mm. Like they may not know, so they just act like they don't know, or they act like they don't care because they don't want you to know, um, like how much they're lacking in that area, or if they're anxious about something, they may cover it up with anger or with a behavior to distract you from the real problem. What are some examples of that? Of what specifically? Of a behavior that's masking. Um, Saying, I hate you. You're the worst. Running away from the situation. Slamming doors. Lying. Not getting your work done. I mean, all that can be a mask from the truth. Like when it comes down to it, what's the real problem? Oh, fear. Oh, they didn't want to go to school today because of something or something a kid said the day before. I mean, those kind of things. Like it can all, it just depends on how your kid shows their feelings. Mm -hmm. Some shut down and internalize everything. Some explode in a hateful way toward all their family members. Yeah. And, oh gosh, I mean, that's, that's so interesting because it can apply um, to so many areas outside of even speech therapy, but it's interesting that um, that something like speech therapy can help with uh, so many different issues that don't even really fall into that category. Um, so let's talk about some of the more typical um, disorders that we would see as a result of trauma uh, and how they how they would work within your profession. So let's talk about like um, ODD or oppositional defiance disorder. What are some of the issues that you see as a result of that? Oh, gosh, that's so hard. Um, in ODD, like that's not something I would just see a child because they're ODD. They would have to still qualify like we like I have some kids right now on my caseload that are ODD. But it's like their language problems are just secondary to that because Mm. like in school, if you have an IEP, you're the label or what qualifies you for your IEP is what's most affecting you in school. So is your oppositional defiance affecting you more in school or is your language disorder affecting you more in school? So that's kind of how they classify how kids are seen in school. Mm. Um, So ODD, I mean, like, so their speech difficulties are secondary to that. So that's like a whole other realm that they would be probably receiving counseling services for or behavioral therapy kind of services for. Gotcha. So there's no like common denominator with ODD kids and a speech language issue. Okay. Um, interesting. So what about some of the other disorders like a uh, fetal alcohol syndrome? I've never had a child with fetal alcohol syndrome. Really? I have. Yeah. Never. Huh. Never have I ever. I know. You need to expand your resume, Sarah McGinnon. Right? I know. I think I need to get out of a school and go to some more exciting clinic I, to get that. I keep saying, you know, uh, we have a couple of other mutual friends that are uh, physical therapists and occupational therapists. And I keep saying you guys should do private practice. Do. Oh, my gosh. It'd be so fun. It would be I would fun. love it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so one more. What about what about rad? Do you see any common denominators with rad kids? The common de- denominator with rad kids is you never know. Yeah, you never know. It's <laughs> a fun day, game every day. It's a fun. It is. It's like Russian roulette. You never know what's going to happen. There could be six fantastic days, and then the next day. 
they are running around crazy screaming at you. And I think that, and I always think of that, like, just think of the internal, like what they're feeling inside to react that way. Um, it just, it breaks my heart. It's, they're the hardest. Definitely. Yes, Definitely. I know this well. Maybe. I think that, um, you know, I've never thought of using Russian ru- Russian roulette as a metaphor <laughs> for how it feels, but uh, that's excellent. Right. So thank you. Yes. You're welcome. You're here always providing value to my yes. life, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <sighs> you know, we talked about this earlier before we before we jumped into the, some of the speech language stuff, but um you know, you've, you definitely have four kids who are all super different. And I've always really admired your parenting style because I think that you are really good at switching gears, um, between how to parent each one of them individually. Um, and you don't have to like go into, you know, names or whatever, but what are some of those different ways? Because you, like I said before, even though you're not an adoptive mom, I think that you have so much to add to this discussion because I've watched you parent for a lot of years now. And, um, I don't know. It's not just that you're good at it, but I think that you're good at a laughing at things and take not taking things too seriously, but also just kind of rolling with it and parenting each kid the way they need to be parented. And I think that's the hardest thing. And you don't know, like we had one kid and we're like, Oh, look at this easy baby. And then you have your second kid is like, Oh, he was not an easy baby. He was terrible. This is a great baby. And then that baby turns 15 months old in, becomes very different and difficult. Um, I think you just kind of have to go day by day, but the hardest, and this is the hardest part for me is being proactive in parenting rather than reactive in parenting. Reactive parenting generally is not good. Mm. You respond to what the child is doing to you or what you think they're doing to you, and you can take it personally. If you ever take anything your child says to you personally, you're going to have a really, really rough time because kids are turds and they say stupid things. (laughs) Amen. Um, And they don't don't mean it. Um, I always tell my kids whenever they tell me I'm terrible or I'm so mean or I'm the worst mother ever, it's like, I must be doing my job. Thank you. Carry on. (laughs) So what, Um, what are some of the examples of proactive parenting for you? Um, so especially with a certain child of ours, knowing that anxiety is a trigger for him, his only emotional response is anger, just knowing that ahead of time and not emotionally reacting when he explodes or punches things or kicks out a window or like those kind of things, being able to calmly not react in a um, angry way because that only makes it worse. <laughs> um, but un- realizing too, like when kids flip their lid and when they freak out and they get to that elevated state, there's nothing you can do to get them out of that state. They have to come out of it on their own. You could just provide a safe place without sharp objects around uh, or where they're not going to hurt themselves or others to let them get to that point. And that's probably the hardest thing. Yeah, I was about to say, you're sitting here telling me that and I'm like getting hives just thinking about it because it's it is. It's so hard because you immediately you start getting scared and you start thinking, where is this going? Where is this headed? How can I stop it? And you flip your lid then. And um, yes. Yeah. And not that I've never not flipped my lid. It has (laughs) happened on occasion. Um, I mean, but seriously, we before were on our way home from a counseling session 
with a child therapist and a child kicked out the windshield of the car because he was so agitated. So what did you do? I don't even remember. I think I sat there in disbelief thinking, how am I going to tell Nate about this? And then I think also protecting your child from husband's reactions also (laughs) can be touchy. Um, But I think if you think it's not just how they're reacting, but what are they thinking? Like what's happening inside of them that's making them respond like this? Like what kind of angst are they in or what kind of internal turmoil must be happening inside of them to come out like this? And that's just like my second child or hypothetically my second child um, is very overt in his actions and his feelings. My eldest child is very internalized, everything. Like you have to pull things out. And then, but I've also learned, and this is just a teenage boy thing. If you ask too many questions, they won't tell you anything. Um, But we're also very real. Like we're very honest. We don't try to be something we're not Mm -hmm. in front of our kids. I mean, they know our weaknesses and they know our downfalls and we don't try (laughs) to pretend that we don't have them. So I think, you know, just having an open, honest relationship like that too helps. And that helps your discipline because when you really know your kids, you can learn the best way and what's going to be effective. Like on Max, I mean, spankings worked with him when he was little. On Grant, we were just talking tonight how once I sat on top of him and spanked him seven times, and it has no effect. Like, but then learning, um, you know, that was eight years ago. Learning now, if I'd known then – Spankings are never going to work on him. You know, he needs time away or he needs to lose a privilege. So just learning how each of your kids um, is going to respond to that discipline. If I ever spanked Kate, I think she would lose her mind. Like she would be so devastated, but that doesn't. She's too pretty to be spanked. Listen, (laughs) she has a sassy little mouth on her. (laughs) But let me tell you, you take her Kindle away and she gets very motivated to straighten up is she she's pretty much the boss of the of the boys right oh definitely for sure yeah yeah like yes five plus and years she junior. has been yeah has been since she was two years old yeah well yep. it's hard to not be wrapped around her finger i'm sure that yeah. i'm part of the problem i have right. i have one too the one girl that everyone fawns over and i'm like she can do bad things too <laughs> she's she just is. cute while she does it Exactly. <laughs> okay, so I'm glad you mentioned Nate because I was going to ask: did this did this understanding come as naturally to him as it did to you, or was it more of a learning process for him, just with the patience and everything? More of a learning process. Mm. Um, I think it's harder. He's well, because I go to all these trainings and I go to like when. Um, we had Grant was in counseling. I was the one taking him for the most part, you know, and so I hear all this and I'm around it constantly and he's not, he's more old school. Well, I said, do this, you know, mm. kind of thing, or you won't talk back to me kind of thing. So I think that's, um, that can be difficult when you don't have the same exposure to the different trainings and the different teachings and just the understanding of like that mental health aspect or the therapy aspect that is so enti- – I mean, 
interweaved in everything, you know, just from my job to being a mom at home with, you know, so that's, it's harder. Yeah. And I can see that. I think that, I think that for men with sons, especially, they just, they want them to fall into certain lines. And, um, I know that that can be really difficult and, um, yeah, I just, I think that that's interesting because again, I mean, as moms, we are the ones who are doing more research who are, I mean, and I'm not trying to make stereotypes because there are obviously exceptions to this, but I know it's true for me too, that I'm the one that goes to therapy. I'm the one that, you know, is asking all, you know, crowdsourcing all the answers and everything too. Um, okay. So another thing that I wanted to ask you about, because you seem, and correct me if I'm wrong, but having watched you parent for a lot of years now, you seem like you, um, really do your own thing and do what is best for your family and what your kids need. And you don't have a lot of care for what, uh, what your family could be seen as or, you know, reputations or anything like that. But I think that that's great. And as kid, you know, as parents, as adoptive parents who have kids that act out and do crazy things, especially uh, rad parents, you know, you have kids that are very good at convincing people certain things. And we're, I feel like we're constantly feeling like we're in a fishbowl. Like, how are we perceived? What are some of the things that you had to let go of as a parent of hard kids? Um, I think having the perfectly well-mannered children in public um, who are always respectful and make eye contact when they're talking to adults and respond well. And listen, we've had, Nate and I were just talking yesterday about when Grant was little and he's had, he spit on the dentist <laughs> and, he, and he threw a big fit in the dentist office and he had to like, was saying mean things to the dentist and had to write him an apology letter later. Um, but we, that's when we figured out that he had some sensory integration problems and we took him to get diagnosed with sensory integration disorder. I mean, so, you know, it all comes hand in hand. But I think just that the idealistic behavior of what we expect and what our parents expect our kids to be like. Mm, yeah. And then they don't mat or meet those. Listen, when you put those unrealistic expectations on kids, they're going to fail. Like, if you have those high expectations, they're always going to fail. So if you don't have those high expectations, then it's all great because you didn't expect anything more anyway. Whew. So just lower your expectations. It's never going to be perfect. And guess what? No one cares. And if they do, they don't have their own kids. My siblings apologized to me later after they had their own children. It's like, oh, now we get it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I... I- That's interesting because you're an oldest child too. And I love birth order effect. It fascinates me. And I'm an oldest child. And I feel like that comes with a certain amount of people pleasing. And it hasn't, I'm not far enough in my parenting journey where it's been beat out of me yet. So I still get very self-conscious when I know, you know, my kid's snowing over some grown adult who should know better or my child is on the floor in Walmart. Like I still get panicky about that. I'm not to the point where I'm like, eh, whatever. And you seem to be at that point. So it also comes with old age. You don't care. Like who cares? It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. They don't know. That's what I think. It's like, they'll understand in 10 years. It's fine. I don't care. That's a good outlook. I did that. Yeah. 
have you always had that or did, did that come with No, it? that's been in the past 10 years probably. Okay, okay. Yep, that, that falls within the window of, of when I've known you. So that makes me feel better yeah. that you weren't just yeah. like born with this. I don't, you know, I don't but care. I wish I knew this. Like if I could go back now and have this mindset when I had three little boys, four and under, um, just how light just less stressful my life would be because we put all these unrealistic expectations on what our kids are going to be like and how they're going to behave and how they're going to look and how they're going to dress. And then here goes your two-year-old in his monochromatic Ninja Turtle outfit with his Crocs on, you know, it's like, (laughs) you kind of have to let it go and you think what is more important, you know, in the end, it's not going to be, it's not going to (laughs) matter. I feel like um, as hard as it may be, do what? As hard as it may be to watch them walk out the door wearing that monochromatic outfit. Yeah, that would that would be hard. But um, I feel like I feel like we need to start a kick uh, do a Kickstarter for you to write just a book of stories, not even with like morals of the story, but just like stories, like and I, and then the firemen came and the end. <laughs> and then the firemen came, and then we went to fire school. And then we got a discount code from the car glass repairman for being such good customers. You need like a punch card. Right? The glass doctor. We highly recommend them. The fifth one's free. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, oh. we're not there yet. Do I? Fortunately, we're not there yet. Oh my gosh. I can't. I feel, I mean, we haven't had that happen yet, but we have, we have several holes in our walls uh, in our home. We have, uh, walls. we have dents in doors. We have broken a uh, uh, salamander tank, like punched a salamander tank and busted it. Was the salamander harmed? He was not harmed, no. Okay. And the child who did it would have been devastated. And that's just one of those reactions. Like, it's not that he didn't love the salamander. He just punched whatever was nearby. <laughs> and it had to be a glass tank. <laughs> oh, Which man. I- artist mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm serious if uh i need some like some you know hand up emojis or whatever on this post if sarah needs to write a book because i think we could get this going she has some funny stories y'all um but before we close out i want to ask you some of my closing questions which i'm having to rewrite a little bit since you're not an adoptive mom but again you just have so much to to share and so much wisdom um in just the realm of dealing with hard kids and how to parent them the best from both experience in your own home and from working with these kids from a speech language capacity. Um, so what do you, what do you wish that, that every parent knew that maybe they have these hard kids and they're deal, they're struggling with patience or what to do? What do you wish that they knew? Um, that it's going to be okay. That even if your kid struggles in school or even if your kid has an IEP and has to get pulled out for special services, kids are strong and kids are resilient. And it's amazing what we see kids go through in school, like kids that were struggling so much like in first and second grade. And then you see them again in eighth grade and they're so successful and they've gotten involved with things and kids are resilient and they're going to be okay. You know, they, a loving, supportive family can do amazing things in the life of a child. Absolutely. So what do you wish that 
um, that these parents would do differently and not from a shaming aspect, but just if you could be like, hey, hey, but wait, before you walk down this path, maybe let's reroute a little bit. Um, I wish parents were more keen and had more knowledge of early intervention services Mm. that if your child is struggling and you think it never hurts to ask, it never hurts to um, ask your doctor, Hey, I'm kind of concerned about this. Would you write a referral for a speech therapy? Or, um, I mean, I get kids six years old who you can't understand a word that they say, and they've never received any services and it's heartbreaking to know where they could have been had someone said something to them had they intervened when they were two or three when they were kind of wondering this doesn't seem right um i just wish people would really take advantage of those services yeah when their kids are younger well and anymore especially with public schools i mean finances are not even and as much of an issue anymore because i think that that's traditionally what parents have been concerned about is whether or not they could afford these services. But even now, I mean, you work free through early intervention services are free until kids are three years old. I mean, up until that age, if your kids need therapy, you can get it for free. So no excuses. (laughs) Go get it. So if, okay, so put yourself in, in the shoes of, um, of these parents' friends, you know, they're, they're getting these kids in their homes and they need this tribe to support them. What, um, what advice would you give to friends and family? Um, just to be supportive and don't go in telling them, Hey, I think they might need this and this and this. There's going to be a transition period where they just need love. They need to know that they're secure. They need to know that you're still going to be there tomorrow. Um, and I think that's the most important things when you bring kids into your home, think of what they've gone through. Like they've been taken from their families, from all they've known, even if it's a horrible situation, that's all they knew. They didn't know any better. So just to be loving and caring and supportive rather than just telling them, Hey, I think you might need to go take them to a doctor or they're not talking right. Give it a minute so they can get that security before you start disrupting their lives even more. I think that that's really good, especially, you know, if they if it's something that they haven't been through, the, these friends and they're seeing these kids that, you know, aren't talking or you can't understand what they're saying and they they're more apt to judge than just to be there through that transition. I think that that's great advice. And I have to say, you know, you even in a non-speech capacity, this is something that you've done really well. Uh, I mean, I, you dropped off like groceries and diapers on my doorstep multiple times. So I know that you fully understand this uh, from experience as well, just being in that supportive role. So what would you suggest this support system or tribe, if you will, to, to what is, what do you suggest they not do when it comes to um, kids with these disorders? Um, don't tell them what to do. Don't tell them how to parent because you haven't done it. Mm. Let them figure it out. Um, you can offer loving advice, but maybe not immediately and maybe not unless it's asked of you. If someone asks you your opinion, then you can offer it. But if they don't, just keep it to yourself. Yeah, once more for the people in the back. <laughs> right. <laughs> keep your opinions to yourself. <laughs> Okay. And then if you were just going to sum it all up, what is your biggest piece of advice or encouragement to, um, I don't know, to these parents whose kids are, are struggling with um, with the issues that fall into your, your realm? I think 
when you bring these kids into your house, just being a positive role model, if they're not talking well, like you're modeling that in your home, you're modeling the complete sentence, you're, you're modeling what they need to be doing. You can be showing them and giving them visual assistance as well as using your words and just teaching them. They may, we take advantage or we take for granted that kids know basic things like manners or shutting doors after themselves or flushing the toilet. I mean, even my own children don't do that well, but some kids haven't been taught those basic skills. Some kids have never eaten dinner at a dining room table. Some kids don't have never used utensils. So just teaching them and not having such high expectations, just going back to thinking where they've come from. Mm. And how would you feel in that situation if you were in this brand new place and it was all new? So don't have expectations for kids on something that you've never taught them or modeled for them before. That's amazing. I'm like, I'm like writing that down because that, I don't, that falls into so many issues that we have because it's, it's so easy to look at a kid. And again, like what you said earlier, tying it back to uh, parenting out of fear or reactive parenting, you know, we see this, this kid that can't sit at a dining room table and eat and we immediately get afraid for their future. We're like, this is never going to fix itself. I have to do all these things. But just taking, taking that situation and pouring a bucket of grace over by just saying you are teaching them just by modeling it. That is so freeing. Oh my gosh, Sarah. Goodness. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I'm so excited that you got to sit down and chat with me about a couple of different topics because I think that you yes. have a lot of awesome advice to give and I'm really grateful. Well, sure. It was fun. For, Even with my children walking and making faces at me. That was the best because we're recording this on video and I could see you looking up and trying to keep uh -huh. a straight face. It was great fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you're an awesome mom and I always love chatting with you. So thanks again for sitting down with us, Sarah. Sure. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey and he is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.